This morning I want to talk to you about something I've never talked about before. And I want to talk to you about being good to your soul. In fact, the title of the message is Be Good to Your Soul. This will be part one. I didn't realize when I got into this that there would be so much information that I wanted to cover. So we'll have at least part one and part two before we're done. So when it comes to the state of your mind, much has been taught about how we can wage warfare against the thoughts that come from the enemy, either directly or indirectly through people that are used by the enemy. And if you aren't willing to wage that warfare, which you do primarily with your words, you won't have a healthy soul, you won't have peace of mind, and many times you won't have a healthy body. So I want to talk to you about being good to your soul so you'll have a healthy soul and consequently you'll have a healthy body. Amen. But before I go any further, I want to remind people that we have, that we are three-part beings. We are made up of spirit, soul, and body. And I want to do a real quick review because otherwise much of what I say today uh, will be hard to understand. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, New King James now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That means holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, or completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, real quickly, there are three Greek words used for spirit, soul, and body in this verse. Many teach, for example, that the spirit and the soul are the same thing. Well, this verse blows that up. The word for spirit is the Greek word pneuma, which means breath or air. And it's that part of you that was breathed into you by God, I believe, at conception, that part of you that was made just like God, especially if you've been born again. The soul, the word there in the Greek is, uh, is the Greek word suke, but the English spelling of suke looks like psyche. And we get our word for psychology from psyche. And that is the seat of your mind, your will, your emotions, your personality. And I believe and I teach that your, that your heart is the spirit and soul combined together. Amen. Peter talks about the hidden man of the heart. I believe the hidden man of the heart is the spirit. And with the spirit, you find the soul. And then you have the body. The Greek word there is soma. And it's your, your earth suit that your spirit and soul or your heart lives in while you live on planet earth. I know this is basic in review for most of you, but I just feel like I need to put it out. Ephesians 4.24 says, we have a new man living inside of us, and that man was made in righteousness and true holiness just like God. Amen? That's talking about your spirit man. So of all these three parts... Your spirit man is the only part of you that doesn't need to be worked on. It doesn't need to be changed. It's already perfect. It's already just like Jesus. In fact, I say many times that the challenge of the Christian life is to get what's inside you to show up on the outside. Amen? Your soul needs to be renewed to the Word and by the Spirit of God so it lines up with your spirit man, which is by nature just like God. And your body needs to be cleansed of ungodly desires and lusts that originate 
in the mind. So if your soul is conditioned by this world and by this world system of thoughts, it will negatively affect your mind and eventually will negatively affect your body. Let me show you that in the Word. Proverbs 14.30, New King James. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. So a sound heart is a heart where the spirit and soul are united together or are in agreement. Psalm 86.11. The psalmist says, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. When your heart is united, when your heart is united, your spirit and soul are in agreement. Amen. Your heart is in unity. And when your heart is in unity, it brings life or health to your body. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Third John 2 says in the New King James, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Amen. So when your soul prospers, your body prospers also. Amen. So the soul is the middleman. He's the key. He's the bridge between the spirit and the body. Whichever way the soul goes, the body will follow. If the soul is trained upright, it'll follow the will of the spirit, and they'll bring that body right along with them. Amen. But if the soul is not trained upright, the soul will side with the body and the flesh and the body will decide which way you're going to walk, which is not a good thing. So all of that was a quick review of spirit, soul, and body because I'm going to share something that looks at this whole idea of fighting off the words and thoughts of the enemy as our duty, but it also is a, it's a different way of looking at it. It's a, a way that says, I'm going to be good to my soul so my soul can be good to me. Amen? So just keep that in mind as we go on here. So how to be good to your soul. So from here on out, we're going to focus on your soul, which I said before is the key middleman. If you are to live victorious, victoriously for our God, spirit, soul, and body. Once again, the soul is where the battle rages. You've heard of the book by Joyce Meyer, Battlefield of the Mind. It's all about the soul. That's where the battle rages in the realm of your thoughts, your will, your emotions. Psalm 3, verse 1 and 2, New King James Version. You probably heard this and you probably read this before. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. Amen. So I believe this passage can be viewed literally or figuratively or both. I believe it can be looked at as a picture of the barrage of thoughts that we are subjected to pretty much 24-7 in this world. Isn't that right? They come from all sides and all sources. Amen. You know, this verse 2 says, Many there be which say of my soul. I looked at the original language, and you can actually translate this, this whole second verse like this. Many there be which say to my soul, There is no help for you in God. 
that kind of puts a different spin on it, doesn't it? This is kind of a picture of the battle we face every single day of our lives. These thoughts come from all sides, and if we're not careful, they can overwhelm us and fill us with a spirit of hopelessness. For example, the sickness and disease commercials, which you see on TV, a drug for every bug and a pill for every ill, amen, (laughs) most of which have worse side effects than the disease they happen happen to be trying to help you with, amen. And what do they do? They convey the message that if medical science can't help you, no one can. Let me just give you a little intermission here and talk to you about what Jesus said about that. Jesus said, I am not showing you the way. I am the way. So the next time somebody tells you medically or or in any other scenario, there's just no way. Say that's not true because Jesus is the way. As long as he lives, there is a way. Amen? Amen. What about the constant barrage of filth and violence that movies and television are flooding our theaters and living rooms with? All designed to train you to follow the world's system of thoughts, no matter how wicked or how perverse they might be. Now, it's easy to blame the world for the ungodly things we have to fight against almost every day of our lives. It's an easy thing to do. But I invite you to look at it from a different perspective, one that shifts the focus from the world's blame to our responsibility as mature believers. To be sure, some of this bombardment is unavoidable, but most of it is not. So we have a responsibility of protecting our souls from the thoughts, the words, and the images of this world system. So along those lines, I came across a scripture that I've read many times before, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me pass it by before showing me something I hadn't seen before. Proverbs Proverbs 11.17 in the authorized King James Version. The writer of the Proverbs says, the merciful man does good to his own soul, but he that is cruel troubles his own flesh. Amen. There's a lot in there. I spent quite a bit of time meditating on this verse, and the Lord just kind of opened it up to me. Number one, here we see that the merciful man does good to his own soul. He may do good to other people's souls, but He does good to his own soul as well. And his soul is his mind, his will, his emotions. Amen. And he's doing good and being merciful to your soul, to his own soul. So I'm just pleading with you this morning. Have mercy on your own soul. Do some things to do good for your soul. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Being good to your soul. Now, number two says, he goes on to say, that the cruel man troubles his own flesh. And we'll talk about that next week. Amen? But this week, we're going to see how we can be good to our own soul. So the first thing you can do, and the most important thing you can do to be good to your soul, is to feed your soul a steady diet of the Word of God. That's the number one thing you can do. 
There is no substitute for it. Reading the word, studying the word, meditating on the word, they are essential. If you arm your soul with the word when tough times come and the enemy bombards you with his thoughts, the sword of the word will come out of your mouth when you need it the most. A steady diet of the word and of the spirit, which is on the word, will help transform your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions so that they line up with the will and the ways of God and not this world system. Romans 12, 2, New King James. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. There's so much here. This word here, transformed, it comes from the Greek word metamorphosis. And we think about the caterpillar that crawls on the ground or on the branches of the plant, and he's just crawly, 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 and then he makes a cocoon, and then weeks later he comes out, and he's a butterfly that can fly, amen? So that's the kind of dynamic change we're talking about here. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Go from a caterpillar to a butterfly, from crawling to flying, amen, by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. Everybody you talk to that's a serious Christian wants to know what the will of God is for their life, right? Well, the key is to feed on and meditate and renew your mind to the word of God, and you will prove, you will find out what is good and acceptable and perfect for you in this life. Amen? Y'all bear with me here. I'm struggling a little bit with my throat. Hallelujah. So another way you can be good to your soul is to guard your soul from the inputs of the enemy whether they be written words, spoken words, words set to music or images or combinations of all of these, all of them can produce ungodly thoughts that will lodge in your mind. Look at what David said in Psalm 101, verse 3, one of my favorite passages, New King James. He said, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away it shall not cling to me. Amen. Amen. The King James says, it shall not cleave to me. It's the same word that Adam used in Genesis when he prophesied about marriage. He mentioned mother and father when there was no such thing at the time. He prophesied and said when he saw Eve, for this cause a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave unto his wife. Same word. He will become one with his wife. Amen. So what he's saying is, I don't put anything wicked before my eyes because I don't want to be one with anything that is wicked. I don't want it sticking to me. I don't want it clinging to me. I want to walk free of it. Have you ever watched a movie? Now, I'm just letting you know ahead of time. I'm including myself in this. You watched a movie that was just a little bit edgy little bit too much violence and a little bit too much sexual innuendo, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
And then when you finished watching the movie, you said to yourself, I feel like I need to take a shower. It's because that stuff is trying to cling to you. It's trying to cleave to you. It's trying to become one with you, and you need to ward that off. You know, the best thing to do when that happens is say, Lord, I repent. I'm so sorry. I opened the door to this. Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me and make me clean? Amen. I received the blood of Jesus as covering and purging all of this sin for my life. Listen, Lord, help me next time I come against this temptation to stop and listen and say, you know what? This is a movie we do not need to watch. Now, Trisha and I, we're so conditioned on this. You know, we got we to gotta play the trailers first, you know, Netflix or whatever. And if we can make it through the trailer with, you know, it sounds pretty cute, pretty good. Uh, but then there's been times when we start the movie within like five minutes. We're like, holy moly, let's get out of this. Just horrible language, sexual situations right off the bat. And we say, we ain't watching this. Isn't that right, baby? We ain't watching this. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cleave or cling or stick to me. Amen. Make up your mind. You're, you're not going to set anything before your eyes that would be displeasing to the Lord. Whether it's something you read or something you watch, be careful you don't open the door to ungodly thoughts that can lodge in your mind. Be careful what you listen to as well. There are songs from almost all styles and genres that are filled with the wickedness and filth of this world. You know, probably 20, 30 years ago, there used to be a popular saying in the body of Christ which said, what would Jesus do? Y'all remember that? WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, think about it. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do and I only say what I hear my father say. So what Jesus did was driven by what he saw and what he heard. Or you could say it like this. Jesus did the things so what Jesus did was driven by the things he allowed himself to see and allowed himself to hear. Screening out the devil's words, the images and whatnot that come from the enemy. So if you see and hear the way that Jesus did, you're more likely to do what Jesus would do in any particular scenario. Amen. Learn to hear or sense the prodding of the Holy Spirit when he warns you to turn away from potentially harmful words or images. Don't let them cling to you in such a manner that it's hard to remove them from your thought life. I said this already. If you miss it and you watch, read, or listen to something you know you shouldn't have, just repent, ask forgiveness of the Lord, and ask for his help the next time you're tempted in this way. 2 Corinthians 10.5, which we all already mentioned in the service, King James Version. Paul talks about casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Let me read that last part again. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 
sounds like an impossible assignment to me. Every thought, obedient to Christ. Well, first of all, if the Lord didn't think it was possible to take every thought captive, then he wouldn't have asked you to do it. So there must be a way to do it with his help. Amen. Here's a key that will help you if you're struggling with the enemy's thought barrages. Realize that you can't really stop thinking a thought. Instead, you must choose to replace that thought with another thought. So if you have an ungodly thought lodged in your mind, rather than saying, I will not think that thought, I will not think that thought, approaching it that way. Remember the guy in the commercial? This has been 30 years ago. It was a cough syrup commercial. And the guy was coughing, he, and he was like, <coughs> I will not cough. I will not cough. You know, and every time he said it, he coughed. You know? It kind of illustrates to me the impossibility of canceling out a thought. So what you do with an ungodly thought is you think a godly thought in its place. Yeah, that's great, but what about taking every thought captive? Well, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? How do you take every thought captive one thought at a time? Think about it. Most of the time, the thoughts that come against you come in streams that are all related. Hey, you're no good. You'll never be anything. Who are you to dream that dream? Who do you think you are? They're all different thoughts, but it has related themes. So it's easy to pick out the theme and stand against the theme. Amen. Everybody with me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So is there something in the scripture that tells us what we should think when ungodly thoughts come against us? Well, it just so happens that a Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 in the King James, very famous passage of scripture, talks about exactly what you do when faced with ungodly thoughts. says, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Think about these things. I tell you, I've tried it, and it works. I remember when uh, we were younger, and we had toddlers. We had two in diapers and a toddler. And, uh, you know, the enemy, when I'd be driving home from work, he would just uh, barrage me with thoughts of bad things happening to my kids, you know, being burned or maimed or murdered or kidnapped. And, and it just went on for months, and I finally cried out to the Lord, what do I do about this? He says, you've got to listen. You've got to, you've got to combat the words of the enemy with words of your own, and the best thing you can do is repeat back to the enemy what the word of the Lord has said to you. So I memorized some scriptures, and I spoke this over my kids. There shall no evil befall them. No plague shall come nigh their dwelling. A thousand may fall and 10,000 at their side, but it shall not come nigh them. For God, you have given your angels charge over them to keep them in all their ways, and you will bear them up in their hands. Uh, you will bear them up in your hands lest they dash their foot against a stone. And I would just 
when these thoughts would just come at me just in this barrage of horrible things happening to my daughters, I would just fight it with the word of God. You know, every thought that come to me, I would repeat the same mantra over and over and over again. And over a period of about two, maybe three weeks, all of a sudden, these episodes started to come less frequently. And I kept hammering away anyway. And they became less frequently. And then over a period of about a month, they completely disappeared. And I never fought that battle again. Occasionally, I would have a thought, I need to, I need to prep for this. And in case the enemy has something he wants to say to me about my daughters, there shall no evil befall them, neither shall any plague come nigh their dwelling. God, you've given your angels charge over them to keep them in all their ways. And no thoughts came. Well, guess what happened later in life when I had a hassle of grandkids? Those same thoughts started coming against me again. But you know what? I said to the devil, you know what? Your playbook has not changed, evidently, in thousands of years. <laughs> and if you think you can recycle this fear and this anxiety about my grandkids because of what you said about my kids, you are dead wrong. And it only took about three days to set that to rest, and it stopped. I said, I won't put up with it because I know it's a lie. It's a lie of the devil. You are the devil and the father of lies. There shall no evil befall my grandchildren. No plague shall come nigh their dwelling. You shall bear them up in your hands, angels, lest they dash their foot against a stone. That means they won't even suffer minor injury. Amen. So you've got to fight the battle, and you've got to fight to win. Amen, amen. Well, listen, I know this was short, but it's been a rough couple of weeks for Trisha and I, and uh, we'll pick it up next week with the continuation of Be Good to Your Soul. Amen.